When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, good morning and very uh, warm welcome to the Football Digest podcast. And this week, I'm uh, delighted to be joined in illustrious company again, Andy Dunn, Chief uh, Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Matt Dunn, Football Suits Primo um, of the Daily Express, Chris McKenna, um, Daily Star, man with a knockout punch as well um, uh, on Merseyside. Um, he's, he's your man for boxing as well. Um, and guys, we've got so much to talk about this week. We really have looking back on a busy week of um, of football and uh, and and also, of course, we'll, we'll start off with the uh, um, terribly sad news of Diego Maradona and his passing and the tributes then that follow. And then we will we'll look back upon um, a busy week uh, again in the Champions League. Um, look forward also to the um, uh, Premier League and uh, some really good games coming up this week. Um, significant battles. We'll be asking whether uh, Chelsea-Tottenham is indeed a title clash, whether it can be considered as such. We'll also be taking some of your questions. So if you've got more questions, please, we're going live now. So, so send them in um, uh, and we'll answer as many as we can. We'll also have a little look behind the scenes towards the end of the show, just about, I think, one of the things that gets football journalists into more trouble and more problems than anything else, player ratings. And Andy Dunn this week has been <laughs> in the eye of a storm after having the audacity to give James Milner a six. Can anyone beat that? James Milner, a six. <laughs> I don't know what's come over you, Danny. You know, we'll, we'll have a look at that. Anyway, listen, guys, the the the, the big news yesterday um, and dominating all the front pages and indeed the back pages um, this morning, it, it attributes to Diego Maradona, who I must say, in, in my view, um, is the greatest player. Uh, certainly that I've ever seen live. I always think of him as, as the greatest player to have ever played the game. Um, what a terrible, sad passing. I must say I'm rather obsessed by this self-indulgent props alert, really. So if you're, if you're watching this, uh, uh, sorry, listening to this on a podcast, then you'll it, it'll be completely lost on you. My Argentina shirt, which I'm very, very proud of. And uh, also I, I, I used to have a bit of a hobby of, of, of collecting ties from every game that I, that I go to. And this is my favourite of all the ties that I've uh, gone to a stadium to watch a football match. And the shrines there and the tributes and the and, and, and the statues towards um, Diego Maradona there from Boca Juniors um, in Buenos Aires are, are absolutely something to behold. Um, you've seen the pictures and the live feed from there. I think he's the greatest player of all time. I'm just going to go around the room to start with, guys, just to to, to get your... Uh, tributes and your um, thoughts on, on on Maradona. There's been so many video clips, so many uh, tributes written. Just a few personal thoughts would be really nice, starting with you, Andy, if I may. Well, you know, John, when the news came through um, yesterday, you, you just thought that, you know, it was, it, it was complicated, really, in the sense that 
trying to balance everything out about his life. But then you take a step back and you think, you know what, this is just a guy that, you know, in the end transcends his sport, you know, and, and there are very few sportsmen, athletes, sportswomen that do that. You know, Muhammad Ali in boxing, you know, Tiger Woods in golf, and Diego Maradona in football, you know, it was the sense that it was the end of something. It was the, we will never, ever, ever see a footballer live a life like that. You know, I'm not saying that we want to see a footballer live a life like that, but we will never see anyone, you know, I said this morning, you know, the term floor genius, we can retire that now, along with the number 10 shares, we can retire floor genius because there'll never be someone that flawed and that much of a genius. And so we can forget all that now. And I just think that you know it, it, it's a it's for for the current generation of football fans when they look through the clips last night and today it just awakens them to a, a talent that was just just extraordinary you know extraordinary his physical stature what what his lifestyle and yet still to produce the performances that he did particularly in Mexico '86 and particularly that goal you know that goal has now been replayed you know a million times over the last twelve hours or so. And it and, and there is no argument, you know. You will take no argument. It is the goal, the the greatest goal ever. And I just think, you know, it just felt like the end of something, the end of an era, the end of a, the end of of something in football that, that won't happen anymore. You, you know, we 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 won't have footballers with those. We won't have footballers become as elite and as world class as, as Diego Maradona did, yet still have all those issues away from away from the field. You know, we'll have footballers who are great, but who will have lived their lives, I don't know, by, by, by the rule book, by the textbook. You know, it, it, it's hard to, to put into words, really, but it, it just felt like the end of the the end of an era for football, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Matt? Uh, yeah, everything that, that Andy said. It was interesting. Um, 1982, we all have our first World Cup, we remember as a kid. Um, and I remember 1982 was mine. Uh, when we saw some of the best and the worst of Maradona in terms of his red card in the end, but some of his skill in that World Cup. Um, but I was looking back at a highlight reel yesterday, as I think many of us probably were. And I wanted to think once again about whether it, hit, it was Maradona or Pele, who was the great, world's greatest mm-hmm. footballer. Uh, and I watched a Pele sort of show reel, and it was like he was playing every game as if it was when he was in escape to victory, when he goes on the board and says, I just go zoom, 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 goal. That's pretty much every Pele highlight. You watch the Maradona show reel, and generally, the one I watched anyway, he'd beat four people incredibly, and then the fifth person would come and kick him six foot up in the air. Uh, and that happened, that was a feature again and again and again of every sort of highlight. And that kind of made me think, do you know what we're all sitting here thinking about? 1986 and and, and his, the cheating side of his aspect and like Andy says flawed genius but it sort of put into context you know we're, we're lambasting somebody for cheating who was cheated pretty much 10, 15, 20 times every game and took it all on and still came back for more I mean he, yes he had his off field demons and, uh, and he lived his life fast uh, and he got in with the wrong crowd when he was at Napoli but just to see him beat players, take a kicking, get up, and then oh, beat players again, I just thought it was incredible. And excuse me, <coughs> you see modern referees, and you can imagine him playing now. Uh, and I don't think that there would be a debate as who was the greatest player ever. No, I agree, Chris. What are your recollections? 
Speaking of World Cups and showing my uh, age here or lack of experience, but 94 World Cup was kind of my first one that I remember watching as a kid. And obviously that wasn't his greatest time, but it also showed like he scored that goal against Greece, I think it was. And then he did that celebration to the camera. And then a few days later, he's, he's popped for failing a drugs test and the madness that surrounded him. And as a kid, I was like, well, who is this guy? Like just fascinated by this kind of maverick and I think that's what as Andy said like it's just that it, it made him like bigger than football in a way by having that like bad side to him I know it was some of the stuff was really bad but it transcended and when you look at like we all know that Messi and Ronaldo now are greats and will probably go down be up there maybe alongside him eventually but I don't think people outside of football when you go outside of the bubble that really will will know them as well. But everybody in the world will know Diego Maradona, like an Ali, like a Tiger Woods, that because of his off-field stuff, he transcended it and he it made him more of an interesting character. So you, it made him that bit more special in a, in a weird way, even though some of the off-field stuff was mad. But yeah, but then when, you, when I found out about him and you try and find videos, obviously there was no real internet then, but... You, you found videotapes of them and you've seen the goals and now you just watch them back. And uh, as the others have said, they're beating three, four players. There was, the size of them as well, just like getting in and around players. It was amazing to watch and yeah, well remembered. Yeah, it is incredible. It's funny, actually. I was thinking that the 1982 World Cup, I still think it's the greatest World Cup of all time. And then I think actually of World Cups and I think if there's one player that... that and rather like you, Chris, I can I can more relate to Maradona than Pele because he's just there in my mind. He's in my lifetime, Ooh. you know, so I can relate to it. I've seen him in the flesh, actually. It's sort of kind of he played that bizarre sort of testimonial game at White Hart Lane, in, in, in you know, and it was just I was there and that and saw that and that was just astonishing. And I think if there's one player that that won the World Cup, then Ooh. as an individual then I think it has to be Maradona because I think someone, I rem- always remember sort of kind of almost uh, documenting the, the the 86 World Cup and saying that the quarterfinalists were all pretty level. Um, they're all, it was qu- there wasn't really an outstanding team, but there was one outstanding player that elevated Argentina above everyone else, and that was Maradona. And I think the, the piece, the picture, sorry, that accompanies your piece, Andy, um, mm. in in the mirror when he's got kind of he's, he's he's about to slalom his way past about four Belgian defenders it, it's just one of the most iconic sporting stroke football pictures of all time and I just think that that, that was amazing and do you know what I love South America and yet it, you, you know and I love everything about it. I love to travel and it was Maradona the fascination that, that sort of kind of made me think I must go to, to Argentina in particular mm. and sort of Buenos Aires but um, you, you know, and, and as I say, Boca is just a, a sensational um, experience. But then also the, 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 the film, the Maradona film, I think is the greatest football documentary of all time. And there, there's one, that, you know, sort of element to that where they talk about the mob taking him out for a night out the night before a title deciding game. And you're thinking, what on earth has happened there? It's just crazy. Anyway, it's... Um, uh, 
it, you know, it, uh, yeah, it was a bizarre, crazy time. And, uh, you know, w- without a shadow of a doubt, you know, uh, sort of Maradona, I think, is, is the greatest, um, in, in my view, and will always be. I don't think you will ever touch as an individual story, both on and off the pitch. Um, ever again right we're going to move on to, to onto the Champions League hopefully paying a sort of a fitting tribute fitting enough tribute for, for Maradona the greatest um, on, on to the Champions League fallout and particularly looking at last night's games um, if I may uh, Liverpool we, going from the crazy um, remarkable scoreline that they won in Italy to the home defeat of, uh, of Atalanta I mean Chris perhaps you'd like to start with this what would you know what the, the the difference. I mean, obviously, you look at the team sheets, and that and that's the biggest clue. But I mean, what a you know, what a game, what a result. Yeah, I think last night kind of showed maybe what Klopp was worried about when he went to Atalanta and he played such a strong team, which was surprising because he thought he might have rested more for that with the schedule and everything. But he went out there to win that. I know that looks even more important that they've kind of done that because he showed last night when you they have got a deep squad, Liverpool, but. When you do take a couple out of there, it just it doesn't click as good at times, and that's where maybe Klopp is struggling with the schedule in that he knows that. So when we we say, well, I, I would always say you should rest players more rather than moaning about substitutes and the, the TV schedule, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But maybe this is why he knows because against these teams who maybe people don't see Atalanta as a an elite team in Europe, but they got to the quarterfinals last year, so they're not doing too not too too bad. So he maybe knows that once you take a couple of those top players out, that the the kind of intensity drops a little, and and I think that's what was punished last night, and that's why after an hour you saw him bring out the cavalry, where he brought on he, he made all those subs to try and try and turn it around, but in the end it was kind of too late then. But yeah, it, it was a bizarre to, to go from hammering them away to losing at home but I think it was just down to the team and just having that little lack of intensity and maybe also thinking oh well we've beaten these heavily away we've got nine points we're almost over the line and I just think at this level that can kind of punish you when a team's coming who are desperate to get out of the group as well mm. um, and I think that's where they kind of got got found out a little Yeah and Andy Klopp, Klopp's body language Klopp's behaviour on the touchline I think was quite revealing, wasn't it? He was clearly very angry. Yeah, he's very angry, and he, he he was you know asking you know why they just couldn't couldn't play. It's the body language. That it's an interesting thing you bring up there, John. In the, what signals um, it gives out, what signals the manager gives out to players, and one of the concerns I would have about Klopp's um, well rather incessant complaints about um, the schedule. Is that eventually it might give his players an excuse? You know, it, it might give his, his players an excuse to, to to actually believe that the schedule is somehow um, conspiring against them. That the, the, actually they should be tired. You should be tired. You should be knackered. You've got to play Wednesday, and then heaven forbid you have to play at twelve thirty on a Saturday. Um, you, you know, I, I just think that 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 is the danger. I suspect it won't happen. I mean, we saw against Leicester how how driven they were, and we know how driven they are. We know how driven Klopp is, so I suspect it won't happen. But the subconsciously, you know, it just does create that sort of atmosphere of, well, you know, you know what, we've got this terrible schedule ahead of us, and of course they, you know, they have, but you know, they, they've got the safety net of the last Champions League um, qualifying game, which you know, which, which they'll win. Everyone beats Mitchelland, 
And, um, you know, so it's not really a big problem last night. But I just think that that is the danger, the, the, the danger of, 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 of making the schedule top of the agenda for your team gives basically players an excuse. You know, I'm not saying that they will, they will take that, but I, I just think that, you know, it's almost self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say your player is going to be tired, you know, then they will be tired. Sure. Matt, do you think it was the, uh, the lack of experience, arguably on the night, the lack of quality? Or indeed, as Andy sort of says, are they actually making themselves tired by talking about it so much? Well, the one plus side is it's incredibly fortunate, wasn't it, that four of those players needed resting for their own protection within minutes of Atalanta having scored two goals. So so that fell out nicely for him that that he was able to make those changes to to pre- preserve their uh, and look after his players, which is what we're always told these substitutions are for. Um, no, I mean... They weren't strong enough uh, uh, and they weren't good enough. And that's the gamble you take. That's why having five substitutes uh, changes the way the game's played because he knew that he could bring on four players. As it was, that wasn't enough. And that comes down to Andy's second, yeah, the other point, which is, yeah, Klopp's sending out all the wrong signals. I thought it was really interesting that Mourinho, in his press conference yesterday, um, basically was dismissive of the whole thing. They've played games on a Sunday at lunchtime after a Thursday night match, exactly the same period of time. And he said, look, I've been here since 2004. It's not going to change. Jurgen Klopp's only been here, you know, a few years. Perhaps he'll learn eventually. That was the gist of it. Uh, and the longer you turn yourself blue in the face of arguing about it, you send out the wrong message to your players. Uh, and yeah, and perhaps no one, no one quite had the impetus to get them over the line. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of energy there is in the team when they do get to play that game on Saturday um, and whether there is a hangover. And, and then Klopp's got to start asking questions about whether it is the right approach because it isn't going to change, as Mourinho no. says. No. I think, Donny, that's a really good point. I mean, don't forget, we're not even at Christmas yet. We're, t- we're, t- we're still playing every other day at Christmas. And it's having lost that game, now got to take another game more seriously. Yeah. Well, Chelsea have got their feet up. City have got their feet up for one midweek. That slip up last night means he's got to take Ajax yeah. a little bit more seriously than he might have done. Uh, and that's no, that's going to add to the energy levels. That's why Mourinho was so furious after the defeat at Antwerp. Yeah. Hey, hey, listen, I wouldn't read um, too much into, um, into the defeat last night in terms of the ramification of the Champions League. Don't forget they've lost games... Um, en route to winning it. I mean, I mean, don't forget they had to. You know, I think they had to get something out of their last game um, in qualification. I, mean, I remember Allison making making that great save. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into that, but I just do think that, that you know, you, you're right, Matt. You know, it, it's not going to change. You know, they are the broadcaster. All of a sudden, not going to turn around and say, "Okay, listen, okay, guys, well, you choose when you want to play." That is not going to happen. You know, and the fixture list is there. All as as Gareth Southgate pointed out, the problem was that all the authorities wanted every game played. So, and that's going to happen. Every European game, every domestic game, they're going to be played. And basically, you've just got to get on with it. Yeah. The yeah. thing about the scheduling and, and, and the broadcasting, it's like this hasn't been going on. I know Jose Marino saying 2004, but I remember Ferguson moaning about this years mm. ago, like going on about it constantly that the Premier League and don't help them in Europe by scheduling the fixtures. But do these managers not go to the people at the clubs who, whether it's the chief execs who go and speak, do the Premier League meetings and they, who agree these TV deals and go, look, we have, we'll t- we have to do something about this. Don't accept 
if if BT or Sky are saying it, it's X amount of money and we control the schedule and we can pick it, don't accept that. Take less money and have more control. So BT have paid, I don't know what it is, they're like an, a, a stupid amount of money for football rights. They've got first pick on the Saturday. They've paid for that. The Premier League have allowed them to do that, and that's the problem. It's not. It's not. Shouldn't be on BT now to be worried about Liverpool mm. and Champions League. That's not their. Their worry is about picking the best game for their subscribers. I don't yeah. remember Jurgen Klopp saying, "Well, it's all right, lads. We won't spend seventy-five million on a defender because teams in Germany can't spend that amount of money." Yeah, no, yeah exactly. Or, or we won't spend six million pounds on Jurgen Klopp's salary. It all comes from TV. You know, I mean, let's uh, let's get it right. The five billion pound TV deal. Funds everything. Funds Jurgen Klopp's wages. Funds Virgil van Dijk's wages. Funds the transfer fees. That's what it does. And Chris is absolutely right. And don't forget, you know, it, 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 the twelve thirty games seem to be a particular hobby horse of of, of Klopp's. And don't forget, you know, it, it, it was easy for the, it's easy for people to say, well, okay, why couldn't they move Liverpool back to the Sunday because they're playing on a Wednesday? Well, the reason why is because on the Sunday, Sky get first pick of the game, and that is the prime time game, four thirty on a Sunday. Is the prime time game, the most expensive game that Sky pay for, and they're going to put Chelsea Spurs on at four thirty on a Sunday. They don't want Brighton and Liverpool on, so then BT are left. Basically, they're not left with the pick of the games. They're left with the pick of the games after Sky have had their pick of the games on a Sunday, and the pick of the games is is whoever Liverpool are playing because Liverpool bring in the viewers. Uh, it's as simple as that. So, so, so Chris is absolutely right. You know, the next TV deal, if they want any say, just go and say, listen, we're going to take half the money we did last time, but this time we'll decide when the fixtures are. Or go back to them now and say, hey, BT, here's £100 million. Can we have control back? Yeah, no, I agree. Guys, I'm going to stay with TV because I was going to move on, actually, because TV was further down the schedule, but we're going to stay with it. I think on exactly that, that basically, the 12.30 thing about this, what, what people are missing is, that basically, if you have an away, like Man United did a few weeks back, didn't they? They had to go to Everton after a long trip to Istanbul. Um, and then basically... Um, you know, play at Everton then 12.30 on the Saturday. Now, I, I actually think that's wrong. I, I do really, I passionately think that basically we don't help our clubs enough. And I think that Klopp's got a point. I think the Solskjaer's got a point. And I think that that, that, that is, it's not a new thing. Please don't get me wrong. But the, the, this has been going round and round and round, you know, that basically, I remember a few years back, Arsenal got um, uh, played in... Uh, in Naples and then got uh, absolutely hammered on the Saturday lunchtime at Man City and then basically you know Wenger coming out afterwards and saying this is completely wrong Ferguson did it countless times this has been going on for so long 10-15 years and I think the you know I think the Premier League and the clubs have have missed the boat here yet again but I tell you what no one raised it in the TV negotiations because as you guys were rightly saying because they're too busy seeing the pound signs Klopp shouldn't be having a go at the TV companies he should be going having a go at his own directors for not raising it because basically and 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 by the way when when we talk about this new season with this unprecedented season we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that that basically you know it's a unique set of fixtures the demands are, are, are huge it's condensed season and yet, still, uh, I think the clubs bent over backwards to keep the, the broadcasters unha- uh, on side because they're unhappy for, from Project Restart because they le- lost the exclusive nature of their content last season. So we go round and round and round. And and I go back to the fact that basically, if we talk about sort of a, a, um, a gap between the Wednesday night and the Champions League, 
well, what about the Europa League to the Sunday? I mean, it's the same gap. And yeah, Europa League clubs face that virtually every, you know, every week, don't they? I mean, that that's, I, I guess that's their sort of penalty almost for the for the Europa League. But it shouldn't be like that, should it? And I I, I just don't know quite where we go where we go from here. I don't think we do enough for for clubs in Europe. But it should be the clubs that are banging the drum. Sorry, I've got my my my, my, my soapbox myself here. But basically, I, I don't know, Matt. What is the solution moving forward? It's like you say, you've got to give up money. It's mm. a simple balance and, and clubs don't want to do that because they want to have the extra clout in the transfer market, be able to pay the biggest wages. Uh, and that's what comes with it. You know, if you sell your soul to television in that way, then that that's that's your answer. There, there is no, I mean, can you imagine a chief executive going, saying, no, no, we'll have a bit less money? It's just not no. going to happen. And, and then unfortunately, that's what managers have to live with. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a there's a distinct link here, Chris, also with the five substitutes, because you know some some of them, even in the Premier League, I think there's a few clubs where the manager wants five subs, but the hierarchy of his club don't want five subs. Why? Because the better clubs, the bigger clubs, can bring on five subs and win a game. Yeah. And you, you know it, you've got to find that balance there, haven't you? It's it's winning a game, but it's also it's it's funny if there's probably more stats in it. In some like the Leicester game on Sunday, Klopp only made two substitutions after the third goal went in. It's like okay, the game's won now, so I'll, I'll take people off. It's the same. So I think they want the five subs that they'll use them if they're three four nil up against somebody, and it's like right, let's go make three four changes now and just bring out the the reserves to kind of see the game. Out. They're not going to use it, I don't think, if it's nil-nil with Man City. Or, or City are not going to use it if it's nil-nil with Man United. They're, they're going to only bring on one or two they think that's going to really change the game. Mm-hmm. What do you, but if they're 3-4 nil up against um, a Brighton or somebody, they'll go, right, I can, we can afford so we can rest all these players. But why not rest the players before the game? But then we've seen what happened with the Champions League game when Liverpool did that. They end up getting beaten. So... It's a funny. I, I just don't think you can. I don't think you can change it in, mid, in the middle of the season either. I don't agree with that because I think you're changing the rules of the competition, which, which is not fair because some teams have played some teams and been able to haven't been able to make five, and now some now they will be able to if they change it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think they will change it, Chris, only because um, and the only reason is because I'm not re- convinced they will. You know. Well, John, I mean, I, I just think I think they know, should, but I don't. Yeah. Think Honestly, the the only the only to me the the only um, argument for changing it to five subs is the fact that everyone else is doing it. You know, the fact that the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, they do it, Champions League do it, Europa League do it, UEFA do it. You know, we are we have made ourselves out of step. That is the only argument because I totally agree with everything else that Chris has said about about using the subs. Is that is that it becomes a you know you can't bang on about it being in it. Solely in the interest of player welfare, and then use the five sub rule basically just as a tactical weapon. You know, so 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 when Spurs are being beaten by Antwerp one nil half time, Jose makes four substitutions. What? Because he because he was worried about the fitness or the health of his players. No, because he just wants to change the whole thing round. And that's what and, that, and that's and that's and that's what it is. Again, Chris referenced Man City Liverpool. You know, we know during that game when it was you know when it was one one there um, at the um, um, at, at the Etihad. 
that you know Liverpool made two subs. One of them was forced, wasn't it? You know, with um, yeah. Alexander Arnold being injured and City made the City make one. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was two and one or, or, or whatever. But but yeah. let's put it this way: it wasn't three and three. So um, yeah, yeah. So the, the, there's there's no there's there's no real argument for that. Going back down to your thing about the, you know the, the Wednesday the midday uh, kickoff on a Saturday, I, I I do also think there's a broader picture here. You know, just in the current climate, you know, playing football. Out there in the big wide world, you know, people are having it tough. You know, I mean, people are having it tough in their jobs and people are, having it, are worried about their work. The economy, you know, is going to be taking a big blow. I know these things are, you may think, well, this is like, you know, disingenuous. But, you know, it's hard out there for people at work. Mm-hmm. We're asking players to play on a Wednesday and then play at lunchtime on a Saturday. You know, I understand that it might be, you know, fatigue might creep in, whatever. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not that hard. No, no, I, I I do agree, Matt. I'm just going to finish on 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 this kind of round, just with the Christmas TV fixtures, which I think when when December fixtures are announced, I think it's going to go nuclear, either this week or at the time when clubs begin to get caught in that in that trap. Because I don't know whether you've looked at it, but it's Boxing Day, it's the 28th, and then it's the second. Now I think games on the 20 on Boxing Day will be moved. I think games on the 28th will be moved. And I think games from the 2nd will be moved. So move forward and after. And I think some clubs are going to get absolutely hammered. I think, and and this is going to, I think this is going to create World War III. I really do. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the the one thing I've always been told, uh, and I kind of listen to a bit more sanely than some of the bleating, um, is that the two-day rule should be as sacrosanct as possible, that that is absolutely vital. From a sports science point of view, you shouldn't play games 48 hours <laughs> apart um, because that, that absolutely does kill people because that's the time when you do need the chance to recover. Um, if they, if somebody, some fixtures computer or some guy with a back of a fag pack of hit can sort all the fixtures out so that nobody falls foul of that, then I think, again the clubs are just going to have to get on with it because we know it's a compressed season. We know why it's a compressed season uh, and, and everything else. Uh, and we always knew it was going to be busy at that time of year. And and teams tend to have a sort of a second string in mind for one of those three games in quick succession anyway. Um, it's just what English football is. There's, you know, it used to be Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Yeah. You know, different world, all the rest of it. But, but, People got on with it, uh, and that is what English football is about, for all the good, the bad, and everything else. And yes, we will hear people bleating about it, um, and that's all part of the English game as well. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. You're, you're not going to say they used to play on Christmas Day, are you? I, 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 you I, I are am. not. I, I am. And, and listen, <laughs> some, someone, will, someone will, um, will, will tell me about this, but I'm pretty sure... I, I mean, forgive me because I don't know the exact details, but I'm pretty sure Liverpool played someone on Christmas Day and then played them away from home the next day on Boxing Day, got beat at home and then beat them away. I, I, listen, that, that, that is used to be the way, Andy. It used to be head to head deliberately. Yeah, yeah, home and away, Boxing Day and Christmas. I went, I, I went I mean, to Arsenal. Arsenal, I'm, I'm Arsenal pretty play sure. Watford one day and then play away to Watford the next day. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I'm pretty sure that, that, that <laughs> I'm pretty sure Liverpool. Got beat by someone at home and went and whacked them away and the next day or nothing. And of course, I will never, ever, ever tire of the start of Liverpool winning the 1965-66 league title with 14 players the you entire campaign. That. And you they have to keep that stat now, Andy. Oh, no, I'm keeping it now. That, that, that's it. It. And these teams now won 16 players in every game. 
I mean, yeah. 14 games, <laughs> 14 players for the entire campaign. And that included, by the way, the FA Cup, the League Cup, and a Cup Winners' Cup campaign that went down to the final. And 14 players for the entire lot. <laughs> and, they're, and they're moaning because they can't have five subs. <laughs> right, we are going to move on from this point because I tell you what, it struck me. It struck me last night watching the Olympiacos Man City game, as I did, um, that basically Man City really struggled to score goals, particularly domestically, not so much in Europe. But that goal was a thing of beauty that Foden <laughs> scored. An absolute thing of beauty. A beautiful move, back heel, Foden then scores. Chris, are they trying... Is that the whole thing? Are they trying to score too much of the perfect goal this season? Possibly, yeah. But I think they're also they're missing not having an Aguero regularly yep. in, in the team. I think when you don't have that kind of get the ball in the box, he'll put it away kind of finisher. I think that's where they're, they're looking for more ways to score, like creativeness, trying to make these different moves and all that. But I, th- I think it's all come, just comes back down to just not having Aguero regularly fit. And when he has played, he hasn't looked looked sharp. So I think they're just missing that strike. And it, it's probably been discussed before. I think that's going to be one of Guardiola's toughest things now he's stating, is that I don't think Gabriel Jesus is the man to really step into his shoes. But Aguero's getting older, he's getting more injuries. That's going to be the challenge, to bring in somebody that can score goals regularly like him. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, I think. I mean, I think there are there are a whole um, variety of reasons for City um, in front of goal, or City not scoring goals at the moment because it is remarkable. I mean, I mean, I I, I didn't see much of the game um, yesterday evening. I, I was I was round about um, about Diego um, for most of the night, but I, I did see enough of it to see how many chances or how many how many not so much chances, but how many times they got in a what Guardiola would call they got in a threatening moment. And didn't choose the right option. And you know what? I don't think you can underestimate um, the fact that they've lost someone like David Silva. You know, when David Silva went, the, the general f- sort of theme was, well, you know, he's, he's, he's been 10 years and, you know, it, 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 it's been wonderful for us, but it's come to a natural conclusion and he's going to, you know, um, sail off in, into the sunset. Of course, he's done no such thing. He's inspiring real Sociedad to be battling at the top of La Liga because he is still a fantastic player. And the fact of the matter is, for all the sentiment and the sort of misty-eyed romanticism about him, about him leaving, the bottom line is they lost the player who was their best creator of chances. He saw a pass. He score, saw a goal-scoring opportunity. He saw how to open up defences clinically to give a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And I think they're missing him enormously. And combine that with, with, with the fact that, as Chris says, Aguero's been injured, Jesus... We keep thinking he's going to, you know, take on that mantle of the, of the main goal scorer. He's still struggling with that. Combine it with that, and I think that, that 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 becomes an issue. And of course, you know, they've lost players. I mean, I mean, okay, Leroy Sané didn't play last last season because of injury. However, you're still losing a player off your books. They've still lost Leroy Sané and David Silva, two absolute world class attacking talents. And, and you know, and and they've replaced them with what Fernand Torres, you know, who who could well be. On, on, on who still has a lot of development to do. So I, th- I think that that it, it's, it's a perfect storm of all of a sudden now they are they are they are they are struggling to to basically be as clinical as they were. 
Yeah, Spain is Spain is a funny football for country. You know, it's the country where even Unai Emery can do really well, as he is <laughs> as he is doing at the moment. I'll leave it. I'll tell you what. Let, let's move on. Actually, to to uh, there's a great game this weekend. Actually, uh, London derby, Chelsea Tottenham, um, and but and a real particular London local rivalry and feistiness about this one. But this has actually got a, a little bit more feeling about it in, in that basically I think they're two teams aspiring to to be challenging for the title this season Matt what, what I mean Ch- Chelsea I think they're making great progress aren't they 13 unbeaten now through to the knockout stages another win the other night you know are they are they the real deal do you think that you can, can can they win the title this season Chelsea shows you what 250 million pounds worth of signings can do for a team uh, I mean, let's not forget so this for all the talk about young Chelsea and everything that's what they did in the summer that that's bought titles in the past. That you know, not even that amount of money has, has bought titles in the past. If Chelsea aren't title contenders, then I think the man upstairs, Roman Abramovich, will want to know why, because you know he's got the check stubs to prove that they should be. Um, it is working well for them at the moment. That is the hard part of spending money is getting everything to click together. Uh, and to be fair to Frank Lampard, he seems to be achieving that. You know, at the moment, the the. Acid test will come when they hit their first slump, whether they've got the characters to pull out of it. But but yeah, everything's ticking along nicely. Similarly, Spurs going great guns at the moment. Crucially, I think, Jose Mourinho seems to be in a good place at the moment. Uh, well, and, nice. and yeah, but that's what I was going to come <laughs> on to. Um, they will be fine against Chelsea and do well against Chelsea, providing Jose can take the personal side of things out of it. Can Jose take the personal side of things out of it? He's never shown any history of being able to do that. Uh, and, and I think he might get lost in the whole Stamford Bridge return, the, the whole feeling of the Chelsea fans. And, and I think he might let it get to him. Uh, and that will reflect on the team because at the moment, he's in a positive mood. His team's in a positive mood. Um, that, that's the biggest concern I see for, for them on against Chelsea on uh, Sunday is that, that Jose lets it all get personal. Uh, and Frank does a number on him like he did last time. Yeah, jo- Jose posing with a, a massive great leg of ham after a bet with Sergio regularly on. I don't know what on earth makes you think that he would make it all about me. I mean, it's just... <laughs> but Chris, I'll tell you what... Well, I, do you I think... think he's missing out on the Amazon Prime thing? That's the whole thing. <laughs> probably, That's probably. Well, he's just so addicted to it now. Yeah, he's yeah, suddenly absolutely. got well, busy on social media. yesterday on the press conference that, that that was the hole he was trying to fill. He's trying to open up the club by which we have to understand Jose Mourinho <laughs> to the fans, and so they can see how he how he manages things, and that's entirely what he's doing. Can you, can you imagine what it, what what he was like on um, um, after the weekend and picking up the newspapers and virtually every single person had written. You know, if I read Jose Mourinho masterclass once, I read it a thousand times. You, you know, I mean, accusing me of not being original. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, no, no. But, you know, and, and everyone went down the road. And listen, I, I've done it many, many, many times. I remember doing it, you know, for, for his when he's in charge of Inter against um, Barcelona in, in that semi final of the Champions League. We've all we've all done it. Don't forget these masterclass do depend on on the opposition missing chances as well as City did, you know, and and and, and all these games. But I, I just loved it when he said, "Oh, you know, um, don't say it, it was a." Don't don't say it was coaching brilliance when I brought on the Chelsea and he scored within thirty seconds. <laughs> well, we never were, but, but what he was saying is, do say it was coaching brilliance. You've just brought it up. It's like you know, don't mention the twenty five trophies I've won before listing the twenty five trophies he's won. 
So, but he's in his element, isn't he? He's absolutely in his element. But so he should be because Spurs are a decent team. They are a very, very, very decent team. And I think these two teams on Sunday are incredibly closely matched. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't like to call it either way. I mean, I will, but I, I, I think Chelsea will. will I, I think Chelsea will have a little bit too much going forward. However, you know, these are two two high quality teams. Yeah, Chris, I, 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 coming at, coming at it from you, you're the man on Merseyside, and I always have this battle with Andy about basically a bit <laughs> sort of kind of about Frank Lampard credit and kind of does he deserve a little bit more I mean I have to say I take last his... time you asked me about Frank Lampard tried to get <laughs> well, I'm obsessed by Frank Lampard because <laughs> I, I actually think he's doing a terrific job by the way and I think that you only need to look at a Tammy Abraham or Mason Mount to, to, to see that you know players who I think in the past wouldn't have been given the opportunity at Chelsea let alone become successes whereas I think checkbook management well not so sure about that when when Chelsea actually beat people to the punch to get Werner on on a on a fixed fee, and also did a brilliant bit of business to get Zayek, you know, who's again on a fixed fee, basically on a buyout clause. So I, I actually think it's smart management rather than sort of or smart buying actually rather than checkbook management. How, how do you see? You know, do you see that Chelsea as as genuine title favourites? I'm not, I'm not so not sure. Fa- not favourites, sorry, I should say. Contenders, perhaps. Yeah, I think Sunday will be a big test because I think so far this season when they've played, the, they've played Liverpool and United, I think, are the two mm. of the so-called big six they played, uh, lost to Liverpool and drew nil-nil with United, I think it was. Mm. And I think that's where I, they kind of... Frank Lampard is doing a good job, I think. And he, as you say, he's developing some players. He's brought in some good players. I don't know if this season is too early for them. I just mm. I, and him as well, tactically going up against. I suppose United's a bit of a bad example because Solskjaer. I wouldn't say he's one of the tactical geniuses at the minute, but going up against Klopp, they they were they were kind of soundly beaten that day. Now going up against Jose, if he can kind of outmatch Jose, I think he'll go okay. Right, this is this is impressive that he's gone to he's gone up against Tottenham. He's gone up against Jose and he's gone and got a result. But at the minute, I just think in those big games, I think I'm not sure if they're if they're gonna to win them, and they're gonna have to win a few of them to be real title contenders. So I think this Sunday we'll see if he does something against Jose. Then you go, okay, right? They maybe have a chance when they come and play City, when they come and play Liverpool again. But I think if they get beat on Sunday and Jose kind of outsmart them, I think I think this season might be too early more for Frank than than the, the Chelsea team. Mm, Great, no, sure. Chris. Chris, I, th- I think I think what Crossy was asking you was, um, <laughs> do you think the southern-based media fall <laughs> over Frank <laughs> and give him an easy ride because you know it, 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 is he the media's pet <clears throat> in the way the Mason Mount is the teacher's unbeaten, pet? I think that's what Crossy's trying to say. Unbeaten. I think what he's trying to say is, I think title challenges. I think what he's trying to say is, do you guys in the north ever think? How come Frank, you know, was 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 on the manager of the year shortlist last year when he got less points than Maurizio Sarri and just about scraped the Champions League slot <laughs> and conceded, I don't know, umpteen goals. The most goals Chelsea conceded in goodness knows how long. I think that's the sort of question he's thinking, you know, is it because all those Southern-based media guys just, just love Frank? 
Maybe, maybe we should have touched on that. If you want to talk about, North, to talk about north-south divide and managers yes. on, 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 on managerial oh. shortlist, oh. Marcello Bielsa, anyone? Remarkable. John, John, that, that's not north-south. That's, that, that's hips there, whatever, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, absolutely, sorry. <laughs> Bielsa is going to win that hands down, isn't he? I mean, honestly, honestly, social media <laughs> crowns him now. Sorry, he's got and no one else has got a chance. Um, Man United, um, I, I, I'm going to touch on them. Big game for them at Southampton. This feels like a test, actually, um, for, for, for Man United because Southampton have been playing really well. Um, you know, Hasenhutl doing a super job this season. Um, I think it feels like a test, doesn't it, Matt? Uh, I, I think you're at St Mary's, oh, aren't yeah, you? Very as, much, yeah, so yeah, looking you're forward as well, to it. aren't you, John? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Hazen Huddle again filling that St Mary's Stadium with his voice, um, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, it, it is a proper test. Um, mm. When Southampton are on it, they they're, they're relentless in, in trying to pursue for any sort of weaknesses, uh, yeah, harrying players. That's it's that kind of press that that when, when you're not on your game, you will get found out. Um, they can also be awful as they proved against Leicester last mm. season, but. Um, if their tails are up, which there's no reason why they shouldn't be, then then yeah, United uh, will feel they're in a test, and unfortunately, they're facing a Southampton team that their fans will feel they should beat quite comfortably, uh, and it isn't like that at the moment. So that there is kind of an internal pressure to get a, a, a quite a convincing result, a, a sort of scraped one nil, might not seem enough for some people who are on after Ole uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, there needs to be a result and a performance, I think. Mm. And uh, uh, Matt, Matt touched on the um, uh, Hasenhutl, where I think back in the last season, we, we, we heard him so loud and clear. And I think we were blown away by how vociferous he was, how loud he was, how encouraging he was. I mean, we do that because we have this, you know, we're, we're in this empty stadium and... The great news this week is, and let's see how how things pan out and so, how many fans we're allowed back in, Andy. But the return of fans is going to be limited numbers. We know that in in whatever capacity. How important is that for football? How important is that? I think even more so for fans. Oh, I mean, I mean it, it's just it's just incredibly important, Johnny. And you know, listen, it, it, it's obviously not pra- it's obviously not economically fee- impractical or viable. Mm-hmm. To only have so see, see if you're in tier two, like it looks like, for example, maybe Liverpool will be in tier two. I mean, listen, we're 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 talking now, probably matter of minutes or hours away from when we'll know. Well, say Liverpool was in tier two, so you've got Anfield that holds fifty thousand people, you know, with two thousand people in it. Obviously, practically, it's not it's not viable in terms of you know the amount of people you need to employ to get those in. But it's a start. It's actually people in the stadium, you know, which is just the beginning of what we all hope we get back to which is full stadiums and it's strange you know you mentioned it hasn't I haven't done a Southampton game um at Southampton live um since um uh, the restrictions so I'd, I I I never knew he was such a shouter but we do know we, we to hear all the players and and other managers you know it, it's just it's just weird you want to hear the fans you want to hear mm. the I, I mean and you want that dynamic between fans and players you want to see players lifted by fans you want to see how players react to fans you even want to see our referees, you know, react to fans, which they clearly do. And that is a whole part of football's dynamic. You know, at the moment, you know, we're very privileged that we get to see a lot of football now. 
but we're also watching games that are essentially, you know, I mean, they're not training ground games, but they are box ticking exercises to get the points, to, to get the league done. They're not there for the fans. They're not there to, to you know, to have, you know, um, um, a dad and a mum and the, and the son and the daughter going back on the train and talking about the game all night. And that's what we're desperate to get back. And hopefully with a vaccination, I wouldn't say just around the corner, but, you know, imminent in, in, in the new year, we can at least, you know, I, I mean, listen, I would now just turn, I would be happy now if people said to me, you know what, when the next season starts, 2021, 20, 22, come the end of August um, of 2021, and you can go to that first game of that season, a new season with full grounds, then I'd take that right now. Yeah, quick quiz. It often strikes me as about the atmosphere, about the kind of the heartbeat, isn't it, of, of the game? And sometimes I, I feel like it, you know it could be one nil to the home team, and the crowd would push them on to go and win that game. And then basically, all you know, the away teams on that yeah, football without fans is is absolutely nothing, isn't it? And I, I just think that basically it can't come soon enough, can it? And it feels like there's hope around the corner now. It's what makes it like memorable, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. even in now, like obviously we're privileged to go as, as journalists, but when you go as a fan, like mm-hmm. and you have a great night, and you see it, it's like the whole night, the atmosphere. That's what makes it memorable. You can sit at home, and obviously you've watched great games at home, and you've mm-hmm. gone, "Yeah, that was a great game." I remember when that team beat that team, but you remember those nights when you're there, either working at it, and the, the whole place is going crazy, or you're in the crowd yourself as a fan and we had to be so many people deprived of that for so long. It, it's been horrible. And, and the, the whole, the game has suffered because I, I, there's been some good games since the football's come back, but I, I can't really remember leaving a ground going, wow, what, whoa, like what a match, what a night, what a day. Or like, just being like, you've gone away sometimes. Oh, yeah, that was a good game. They, they performed really well, but, it's never been like I remember yeah. that. I remember that being there that night, and I think yeah. that's what makes it so special. Just quickly, Chris, I, I totally agree with that. Because I, I, and I thought that when I came away from Aston Villa seven, Liverpool two, I thought, yeah. you know, and I just got in the car and I thought, well, that was that, that was unusual. That was, you know, okay. If you come, you imagine there was a crowd there for that. Now, of course, the irony is, would it have been seven two with the crowd? You don't know. Mm. But can you imagine a Villa Park crowd? We all know Villa one of the greatest stadiums, one of my favourite stadiums, one of the greatest stadiums in the country. Imagine Villa 7 Liverpool 2 in front of a crowd. Can you imagine the buzz coming away from there? Instead, you just get in the car and you go, oh, well, that was strange, wasn't it? Oh, that was odd. Move on, next game. Yeah, I just, I, I think you could even pick the last game that I went to, Spurs 2, Man City, mm. uh, nil. And I just don't think there was particularly anything too remarkable about it no. but the fans and the atmosphere the buzz oh. and the excitement of well, Spurs fans seeing their team beating Man City all week yeah. yeah totally 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 different occasion totally different atmosphere it makes it even like it makes it more exciting like even in the build up you know there's going to be 50, 60,000 there everybody's more interested in it obviously if pubs being closed and that you meet out mm. down the pubs talking about it but it's the same it's just without that I just think even we talked about the pay-per-view before and how that was a failure. Mm. It might have worked, though, if there was 60,000 people in stadiums. If you go, oh, I can't get a ticket for that, I'll pay to go to watch it live. But because mm. it's like, well, nobody's going, it just kind of, everything was just flat about it. So you're never going to pay to watch something like that. No, I totally agree. I just want to touch on one thing before we go on to a couple of uh, things to finish with, which was, um, Matt, the 
PFA and Gordon Taylor. Um, oh. Just, I just want to sort of touch on that. I mean, you know, did, I, I guess this is on the back of he's written to two PFA members, hasn't he? And basically oh. said he's going to go at the end of the season. Um, I guess a lot of people drawing parallels and understandably so with de- with the dementia various campaigns and and, and publicity around that. Um, uh, uh, what, what do you what do you think of that? Just just two and a half years and five million pounds after he was supposed to be going, he's finally going to exit the door. Um, not a moment too soon. I think to pin it on dementia it, it, it is right to an extent, but I think it overlooks the many other failings that he's had as a chair, as a chief executive of the PFA. There was no leadership over the coronavirus. His members were the ones driving the players' response there. Um, He's been the absolute pain in the backside for chairman up and down the country, if I gather, in terms of insisting on his members' rights uh, at low level and on on the wage values that they want. You'd speak... um, to, to various chairmen who are gunning for him lower down the leagues because of the extra pressure he's putting on clubs uh, at a difficult time. I think he doesn't really get a good sense of the way the wind's blowing, uh, how best to represent his uh, members who uh, are current. But on top of all of that, there is this wholehearted failure um, to take on board what was an incredible piece of research done over a year ago now into dementia that found that um, ex-football players who he- who headed the ball re- regularly or not, there's no causal link found. But the fact is, up in Scotland, they were, th- was it three times more likely to have suffered dementia before they died um, than, than anybody else? Uh, and that is, I mean, I looked quite closely at that because at first you hear results don't come out like that. That's just too good, too strong a result to to be believable. But you look at the work they did, you look at what they did, uh, and it seems remarkably, remarkable but true that there is that link. And then we did nothing for about a year. Uh, and that's that's just wrong. The PFA, whose, member, the, whose members he's supposed to be representing, should have been banging that drum from the moment that research came out. That was the sort of piece of paper that they needed to say, look, no, this is a real thing. It's actually happening. You know, there's all this anecdotal stuff about, you know, heading old leather footballs and all the rest of it that we can or can't believe. Yes, there's a few unfortunate stories, but no, they are. It's a genuine thing. This, mm. this actually, we've got numbers to back it up. The stories are appalling. This is happening to their members. This happened to their members in the past. It's possibly going to happen to their members in the future. The people currently playing football that we're watching may suffer later in life because that they're, they're playing football and nothing is being done about it. I mean, who knows what the answer is, but somebody should certainly be looking for one. And the people who should most be looking for them are the ones that affects the most, which are the players themselves and their leadership. Uh, and yet we have so little about it. And it, it it just saddens me to think that he continues to pick up as much money as he does out of, take the, out of the game um, for doing very little good, as far as I can see. I, I, I mean, I can't... I can't remember ever thinking, do you know what? You know, well, well played there, Gordon. You, you've pulled a master stroke for football there. I, I can't remember ever in sort of 20 odd years, 25 years now, I've been a, a journalist uh, covering sport. Mm. Never once, I'm, you know, uh, and he doesn't seem to care. He, he, how you can stoically stand up when the whole of football is screaming for you to make way for a more switched on person 
and continue to pick up the wages, eventually be shamed into donating a little bit of money to charity, but but effectively just leading the whole of the football playing body down a cul-de-sac for the last two and a half years while we're waiting for this review. I, I just think, you know, I'm glad he's finally going to disappear because I, I don't think he'll be he may be missed much. It's hard to disagree with, with, with a whole lot of that, but what I would what I would say when Matt says the whole of football, it's not the whole of football, is it? You know, the guy's been a union leader. He's a union leader. He's been a union leader for a long, long time. I don't speak to many players, grassroots, you know, through the leagues who want him out. Why why hasn't it been any sort of, you know, it's a union. The membership, if they are dissatisfied with the job your union leader is doing, you get him out. And that is the only caveat I will put to this entire thing. The only thing that, 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 that you know, I, I can list all those things that you've just done, Matt. We can all list them. We can talk about the whole of football, you know, but it's actually not the whole of football. It, 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 you know, I, I, I also, I agree with, with pretty much everything you say. But then I will go around lower leagues and around players and 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 I will ask them, and you know what? They, they don't share that strength of feeling. Yeah. Had there been that strength of feeling that you just expressed throughout the whole of football, Gordon Taylor wouldn't be wouldn't have been in his job for decades that he has. No, but I agree. Eddie, I must say, I, I think mean, the I mean, dementia the dementia thing, I think, has come back and embarrassed the, the, the PFA. Mm. They could and should clearly have done more, and that they have let members and former members down. And I think that's the thing. But I think never more so has a union been so important um during during this time, but during lockdown and um, you know, project restart. And I think, well, surprise, surprise, chairman, chief executives, clubs up and down the country don't like the PFA. I'd be worried if they did, because they're basically a union should stand up for its members, the members mm. of the players. And yes, I get it with, with dementia, but I'm sorry. I think it's remarkably impressive that in this day and age of multi-million pound Premier League stars and well-paid players, not necessarily in League One, League Two, but you have an all-encompassing union that looks after members mm. right throughout the leagues. It's remarkable, and yeah, I, I actually, I do, I do, you know, take on Andy's uh, Andy's mm. points there, and I think it's a very, very valid point, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, move on to our viewer questions now, if that's mm. all right. Um, I'll start with you on this one, Andy. Um, yes, a few, a few, a few uh, uh, three questions here. Um, what is, basically, what is the difference between the greatest Maradona from the greatest Pele, Messi and Ronaldo? What made Maradona so great? What, what made Maradona so great is what made him so terrible. You know, I mean, I mean, let's face it, you know, um, what made Maradona so great is that he had all these other troubles. He had all these demons. He had all this pressure. I'm not saying Pele and Messi didn't have the pressure, but no one quite had the expectation, the pressure that Maradona had from a very early age. No one quite carried the, the the hopes of a nation. Listen, Argentina's having three days of national mourning. That shows you what is standing in that country. No one quite had all, all that. So so, so it, essentially it was that. As players, for example, you, you know, what, what's, I mean, I mean th there is without a doubt, you know, similarities between Maradona and Messi, if only the fact that they have got a left foot that, that you know, is just, it, it, it was was incredible. So, um, in terms of talent, you know, you you, you could stay, sit here all day and say who's who's the best. But in terms of the backstory, in terms of the troubles, in terms of the demons he fought throughout his life, then that's what makes Maradona 
different. Mm, no, sure. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, well, we've got another one about the five substitutes, um, I think, basically. Chris, will the five subs destroy the joy of the game? I don't know. If, if there was five subs, if we did We're have... Five, this, by the way. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, um, I think it, it would it would affect the game more if there's fans there. I think at the minute, it, although I don't agree with it, I think you should just stick with three. I think it, it doesn't really like affect the joy of watching the game. I think it changes the way the game is. But I think if there was crowds there, I just think there'll be more subs. I know they can only do them in three three lots. Um, but I think it would, if there's crowds there, it would definitely have an effect on the enjoyment of going to the match. I think at the minute, I don't think it'll have much, it does have much of an effect on enjoyment. Sure. The third one is from Jackie, uh, Matt. Um, how do you see Southampton's season developing? Can can they reach the Europa League this season? Well, I seem to remember one of us tipping them as their outside horses right at the start of the season. I can't, can't remember who that was. Oh, that's right. It was me. Um, yeah, no, I think... you the, find the momentum, I was as well. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I think you jumped on the bandwagon, as I recall. Yeah. Um, the momentum they've had since that that defeat, which I was at the Leicester game, uh, and to see them then and then to see them... A, for a manager to, a, to survive that and then turn the corner, it's been an incredible, incredible uh, sort of momentum uh, that's built up from then, built on principles that you can sort of see working. Uh, and yeah, I, I felt from the start of the season they could have, uh, you know, a, a, a strong uh, campaign. Um, and Europa League's not beyond them. I mean, it's squeezing as many clubs as would hope to get into Europa League into those places. But I, I think that's what they should be aiming for, certainly. Mm. Uh, right, we're going to finish now. Thanks so much for for, for, for questions there. Um, you know, let's try and make it a regular thing. So please fire them in um, each week, um, and we'll happily take them on board. We're going to finish now with a little look at behind the scenes, <laughs> Andy. I mentioned it at the top of the show, but you, you you've been getting pelters <sighs> all week, and I'm going to talk about the old chestnut here, player ratings. Now, these can be the bane of our life. And just in conversation, you were saying, weren't there? It used to be the Holy Grail back in the glory yes. days of the Sunday people. And oh. I remember even as a kid looking at, you know, buying yeah. the Sunday people for the yeah. for the transfer gossip column and then also blooming the player ratings. The player ratings was such a big thing. But this this week yeah. has been a bit of an eye-opener, even, even after all these years, isn't it? It has. I'll come on to that in a minute, but I'll just, I'll just go back to those player ratings, the, the merit marks they used to call them in the in the Sunday people when I first joined uh, in the early 90s. And they were a massive deal. They were a massive deal for the players. They used to have an awards evening um, um, at the Cafe Royale, I think it was, um, uh, um, in the West End. And it, it was, it was, it was a, you know, a, 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 a glamorous evening. They used to turn up and the person who had the best average merit mark, you know, which bear in mind we gave at the games, you know, would win an award. And you would go to matches. And, and that was in the days when you would see players at, at games, you know, after the game. And, and you know, you, you'd write 500 words about a player, you know, having a go at him, and he'd say nothing. If you gave him a five or a six, he'd be waiting for you outside the press room. I mean, literally <laughs> waiting for you outside the press room. And as I say, I did get a taste of that this week when when, when I was at Liverpool Leicester, and it was such a great performance from Liverpool. I, I mean, it, it was one of their most impressive performances I've seen for some time. But I gave James Milner a six. And, and seriously, I mean, that was Sunday and it's Thursday now and I haven't even checked my messages this morning, but I, I suspect there's hundreds more saying, saying, you know, how do you watch football for a living? You gave James Milner a six. And and it's just like, it's amazing how 
how you can write so many words, but then if you get a mark wrong, and listen, listen hands up, I've watched it again, and he probably deserved more than a six. But um, it's amazing how that, that, that roused people, because everyone in, in, in their own head has that mark for a player, don't they? Everyone will yeah. say, you know, they'll use it in the general vernacular. Oh, he's a seven out of ten. That was an eight out of ten, you know, performance and, and whatever. And the Holy Grail being ten. And it's just amazing. But it is so... I'm not trying to say it. When you're at a game like the Liverpool match, you know, you're watching it for 90 minutes. And what catches my eye is is is, is Diogo Jota's game-changing contribution. What catches my eye is maybe Firmino being a bit back to his best. What catches my eye is the maturity of Curtis Jones. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're doing the 11 and then you get around to James Mullen and you think, hang on, you know what, you know, I can't quite remember exactly you know what influence he has on the game probably a bigger one than than, than i interpreted with his six but what i would say as well i mean just quickly you, you know a lot of the people writing to me and, and tell me i know nothing say well you, you're ignoring his two assists he took two corners one of which johnny evans headed into his own goal i mean as assists go they're hardly like you know de bruyne and you're still better about it, Danny, aren't you? No, Chris, I'm, Chris, I'm, what, not, what's yeah, your, just, what's I'm just saying, a Liverpool fan, just like off me, he deserves more than a six. Let it go now, let it go. No, go on, Chris, I what's your... I do agree with Andy, though. It is like you could write, like, uh, yeah. a thousand words about the yeah. match, and the first thing people will look at, and the players, I still believe they yes. do now, the, yeah. when the papers oh, are absolutely. around the training ground, they'll yeah. open it up and go, what has Andy done giving me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. James Miller was probably fuming about it, but um, himself. Yeah. But yeah, I've had a few disasters. We were working as a freelance one at the time. I was doing it for a paper, and I made a mess of the Manchester derby. Um, like City won the game quite comfortably, and they 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 would tally them up at the end, and uh, somehow it worked out that Man United's tally was above um, City's, even though I could see from the game that I watched mm. City with a better team but you, when you're just doing it you think oh he did that and you did that give him a six give him a seven whatever and it all tallied up wrong and I have to say it was it was three or four days of um, a lot of message from angry and rightly so Man City fans um, but my favourite one was in it I was told as an Irishman to stick to Gaelic football for it so. <laughs> <laughs> alright too yeah, yeah no defence for it it was no, no. Matt I guess we should we should let a bit of a trade secret go that sometimes we have to file the ratings particularly in night matches well, before the end of the game I would stress before yeah. putting smart you know Alex chime in that basically we, we, we do probably sometimes have the uh, chance to update don't we but what's your uh, you know so well, it's funny do- you should mention that because um, do you remember when back in 2001 um, we were heading out of the World Cup finals because we couldn't even beat Greece uh, couldn't even get a draw with Greece at home at mm-hmm. Old Trafford Beckham was running around the pitch like a headless chicken, trying to get involved all over the place, pulling the team out. That was pretty much the situation when I was told to file all my player ratings on the whistle. I was scrabbling around under the desk at Old Trafford trying to plug my phone line in, ready to send player ratings with that sort of flavour, how, um, you know, Beckham, uh, you know, tried to get, you know, taking it upon himself and, you know, but pulled the team out of shape. Everyone had let the, the country down. We were then going to a playoff and weren't probably going to be in the in the finals in Korea and Japan the following summer. Um, and as I was leaning under, I looked over my shoulder and this bloke with a funny hairstyle belted the ball into the top corner from 30 yards. I thought, 
I can't file this. So needless to say, the ratings were a little bit late and about one or two marks per man higher just on the basis of one gig. But uh, <laughs> but that's how quickly it can change. And, and like you say, that the terrors of going early can, can sometimes come back and haunt you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember... I remember, John, I remember, what, I mean, I think Beckham I remember. got a nine that day in the end, by the way. <laughs> I'm out of the match. Yeah. And by the way, he ended up, I remember doing a story that week that basically it was back in the days of Prozone. And I somehow managed to get some Prozone stats, which proved that beyond I- any recent performance that he'd outperformed and outrun any other team, any other player on <laughs> any other team, for like, I don't know, since football was invented, basically. You know? So he went from headless chicken to, you know, yeah. giving yeah. giving his all to the, to the nation. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. I, I, No, no, I mean, a couple of things. I remember um, I remember that game at Old Trafford. I remember because my computer went in, could put on the final whistle. I was filing on the whistle and, and a big bomb came up on the screen. I remember ringing our IT department and they said, take the battery out and sit on it for a while. It was like, it was high tech those days. I also remember, Matt, I don't remember, it was, it was well, the one time we have a go with other journalists, um, generally um, visiting journalists for this, but I remember Beckham walking alongside the press box about half an hour after the game and after the game and some people giving him a round of applause. Um, but, uh, there you go, I, I, I digress. But also on the ratings where I was going to go back to, didn't someone, one of our colleagues, um, even if I knew his name, he would remain nameless. Didn't one of our colleagues give Ashley Cole a three or a four when he came up against yes. Cristiano Ronaldo and marked him out of the game? And yeah. I think that was the talking point for the entire two days after the game that someone had given him a three or a four. Yes, I know, who that, Ren- I know who that was. And <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure I do, but I'm, I'm he, won't, he, won't, he won't mind. He's out of the business now. Ashley Cole had Ronaldo in his pocket the entire game. Three. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the best England. England player performances that I had still to this day ever, ever. seen <laughs> covering England and he got a, got a three <laughs> not by me after either. 10 minutes I think oh, that was unbelievable <laughs> performance but anyway uh, that was just yeah that was just remarkable mm. it was one of those where I think we, we've all done had the walk of shame haven't we down to yeah. the back of the plane and uh, yeah. you know um, various players pulling you up on the marks that, they, that these days they can see. You know, so when yeah. you're travelling with the team, it used to be the yeah, the, the, exactly. the dread, and they'd, they'd look at the sort of the ratings far bit far yes. before the blooming match report, as as mentioned, guys. That gets me out of having to tell my 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 personal nightmare story again to embarrass myself. So, guys, thanks so much for for. Um, for joining us and thanks so much indeed for, for your questions um for, and for watching indeed for, for people out there so really grateful um have, have a good week and um and, and 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 enjoy the football this weekend and you know the following weekend we can be talking and next week we'll be looking forward to getting fans back in the stadium how good will that feel and for that reason as sad as maradona has been this week at least we've got something football wise to look forward to thanks so much for joining us 